Galatians, glad you can make it with us this morning, Memorial Day weekend. I know there's a lot of people traveling, graduations going on, a lot of things going on out there in the world. I'm glad you could pop in for a little bit here this morning and hopefully be blessed as well. Hey, let's pray and we will get started. Heavenly Father, as we just come to you now, we're thankful for the time to be here. As always, Lord, you teach, we listen. Let your spirit guide and direct and give us ears to hear what you're trying to say, to truly live it, not just talk about it, but to go out and really represent it to a dying world. Lord, help our hearts be soft, Lord, and receive your word in your name. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 2. We're going to pick it up here in verse 2. Start our study in Galatians uh, last week. Um, Galatians, the last time we talked through Galatians, I think I looked up, it was about uh, 17 years ago. So it's been a long time since we've been in Galatians, and I went through it for devotions not that long ago and just absolutely loved this book. Loved this book. First couple chapters deal with Paul's testimony about him getting saved. And it's neat to hear that story. And there's some neat little tidbits in there as well. Like when Paul got saved, he went and spent three years alone with the Lord in the desert. That's a pretty good discipleship program. He didn't really start public ministry for 10, 15 years until after he got saved. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. So what we have here in chapters 1 and 2 is his testimony of what it was like when he was a new Christian. Chapters 3 and 4 are theology. And then chapters 5 and 6 deal with practical application. And that's what I love about this book. It's got a little bit of everything. It's got the personal side of Paul's life. Then it's got a couple chapters in the middle of this is the stuff we need to know. And then in chapters 5 and 6, let's go out and live it. So with that being said, we were introduced last week to when Paul, and when Paul got saved, and how Christ led Paul to Christ. Very interesting story there in Acts chapter 9. So Paul is now saved, spending time with the Lord alone. And we pick this up now in verse 2, that he now is going to go meet the rest of the church. Verse 2, and I went up by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we did not yield submission, even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. Now what's going on here? The, the, The theological aspect of the book of Galatians is this. See, when the church first started, the world looked at the church and Christianity as almost one and the same. They just looked at Christianity as an offshoot of Judaism. So what was going on here is that there's this group of Jews, they were called the Judaizers, that basically said, fine, there's this idea of Jesus, you like this concept of Jesus, then just include him with Judaism. So you want to get saved by Christ, get saved by Christ, but continue the law, make sure you're following all the dietary rules, make sure you're following all the cleanliness, purity rules, make sure your boys get circumcised, do all those things and just add Jesus to the mix. So it became this little buffet Christianity. We're just going to combine everything together, choose what we like and do this. And Paul says, we can't do this. Jesus is the way, the truth and life and no one comes to the Father but by him. So when you start adding in Jesus and Judaism, you're adding in Jesus and works, and you're not saved by works in any way whatsoever. So in verse 2, Paul is saying, "Is listen, I've been preaching to the Gentiles. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And then when Paul came to the rest of the church in Jerusalem, verse 3, they accepted it, and he brought Titus with them, a Greek, not a Jew, and they didn't even make Titus get circumcised. So the church was starting to get it. But the problem is, verse 4, These false brethren just keep sneaking in. They keep bringing in this false doctrine. They keep bringing in this false theology of mixing Judaism 
with Jesus. And it was causing problems and confusions. Because the Jews wanted to be saved through Christ but keep Judaism. The Gentiles, remember a Gentile is anybody who is not Jewish. They're like, well, wait a second. I thought we're saved by Jesus. Why are you making us follow the law? It became this confusion. And so what Paul says is we have to battle this false theology. And that's what he's talking about here. Is it's Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, nowadays, today, we don't really deal with this type of stuff. You don't have Judaizers trying to sneak into the church here and trying to tell you, listen, you want to accept Christ, that's great, but you got to make sure you go follow Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But no, but what we have happening today in the church is people saying, hey, you're saved, that's great, amen, but don't forget, you got to do this, 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 and this. And some denominations and religions have little things you got to check off, and once you do that, you're in. Just always remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not by works, lest any man should boast. The pure simplicity of Jesus. It is through him and him alone. And this is what Paul was trying to say. Please remember it's still going to happen today. Verse 4, false brethren coming in. Jesus warned us of this. Paul warned us of this. Peter warned us of this. This is why, as believers, it is so vital for us to know God's word. To know truth. Truth doesn't exist in the world anymore. The world wants us to accept its own ideas. We have the truth. Remember, the Bible speaks of three truths. The truth of the Holy Spirit, the truth of Jesus, and the truth of God's Word. I was really praying over Joshua 1.8 this week. In Joshua 1.8, I love this verse. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, so that you be careful to do all that's written in it. Okay, what a verse. We're supposed to have God's word with us all day, all night, and whatever we do, whatever we say, we're supposed to meditate on it. Now, when you hear the word meditate, I don't know what you think. The world, when they hear the word meditate, they think of like the Eastern philosophy meditate, which means to empty your mind. No, no. In the Bible, when you see the word meditate, it means to fill your mind with God's word. So when you're meditating on God's word, you're constantly thinking about and chewing on it. Now listen, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I want us to grow and go deeper. So often what happens is we get up in the morning and we do a token prayer to the Lord, maybe a little bit of a devotion, and then we go on with the rest of the day. I've checked off my God box for the day. What would happen if we actually did what the Bible said? That we would meditate on God's word every day. What would happen is if we would have a free moment Instead of flipping through 50 different channels or doing this or that, we'd stop and say, I, I'm just going to read a little bit. I'm reading through the Psalms. I'm going to read through Galatians and just kind of chew on it. What would happen if we put scriptures up in our house? What happened if we put them in our car to constantly remind us? Not a legalistic, not a have to, but if I really stop and say, Lord, I really do believe that you are telling me I need to be chewing on your word daily, regularly throughout the day, and it's going to make a difference in my life and in my family and in everything that happens. Because I'm going to be focused on you. Because the Bible says in the book of James, I'm just a vapor that appears for a little bit and disappears. So who am I to plan anything? Lord, you lead me, you guide me, and I want this to be. Because that way when the false teaching comes in, you've been in the word and you know it's not true. I, I use this example all the time. Remember years ago where the guy put the billboards up saying Jesus was going to return? I think it was 2011 or 2012. And, and people would come up and say, hey, what do you think about this? And the answer is pretty simple. I don't think it's true. Because if the Bible tells me that no man knows the day nor hour, and I got a guy on Route 6 with a billboard telling me the day, it either means God's wrong or he's wrong. I know he put a lot of money in the billboards, but he's wrong. The Lord is truth. 
I know that by being in God's word, because God's word is truth. So meditate on it day and night. Because when you have that purpose, go back to verse uh, 2. By, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. What's it mean to run in vain? That word vain means useless, empty, nothing. Have you ever had a day that was completely free and open? You were so excited. You had nothing going on that day. And by the time the day ends and you're going to bed at night, you look back on the day. What happened? Where did the time go? What did I even accomplish? What did I even do? How often do we run a day in vain? Where the Lord has said, wait a second, what would happen if you'd get up in the morning and as a bondservant say, Lord, the day is yours. Now, there's certain things that we have to do. We live in a world this way. I have to provide for my family, so we have jobs to do. Got to clean the laundry, do the dishes. We got to do stuff like that every now and then. We're in a season right now where we're mowing every three days. We have certain things we have to do. Now, while we're doing those things, we can be chewing on God's word, meditating on God's word, being in prayer, etc. We can turn something neutral into something spiritual by just being focused on it. But what would happen if we quit running the day in vain? I mean, just think about this. I I see people all the time make what I call big life decisions. Where they're going to work, where they're going to live, who they're going to marry, even vacation, you fill in the blank, without even once stopping and saying, Lord, as a bondservant, you're my master. Why would I even plan anything without you? Because I don't want to run the day in vain. Because it's your day, Lord. I have noticed with my life that when I get up and I say, Lord, the day is yours. Here are the things that I think are important. Here are the things that I think I have to do, but ultimately the day is yours. The day just runs so much smoother. The time is there. The focus is there. Rather than me just being jumping from thing to thing to thing in my own earthly wisdom. Give it over to the Lord. Don't run the day in vain. What else do we see in these passages? Verse 6. Paul gets to go meet the big wigs. Peter, James, John. Peter walked with Jesus. John walked with Jesus. James, probably the the brother of Jesus. And guess what he says about that? Verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. Now, he's not insulting them. But he's saying, listen, we're all in this together. Please remember that there is no hierarchy in the body of Christ. We're all in this together. I had a friend one time that went and visited a very famous church with a very famous pastor, and he was very looking forward to getting a chance. Please shake this guy's hand and say, listen, your, your messages, everything has really touched me, blessed me, and I want to just appreciate that. said he got to the church, and he, he, the pastor wasn't around. pastor came out literally just to teach and then disappeared right in the back. And whenever the pastor was standing, he had two security guards on his left and right the entire time. Now, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know if that was something necessary. I can't tell. But I remember the guy was just saying, you know what? I just wanted to shake his hand and say, I appreciate the ministry that the Lord is doing. And, and I see this a lot. I see this a lot in Christianity as we start forming a little hierarchy. It's like, oh, those guys, those guys are better than us or that or this. And next thing you know, you see churches trying to prove themselves, ministries trying to prove themselves. And you see churches say, no, come to us. We're the best. And it becomes this little competition thing. Guys, that's one of the dumbest things in the world. If you're truly focused on souls getting saved, then the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. And then our job as a church is to equip the saints to go out there and spread the gospel. That's what our job is. It's not about building our little kingdom here. Paul says we're all in this together. It reminds me of what we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says some plant, 
some water, but God gives the increase. Listen, we all want to pick the fruit off the tree. We all want to lead people to Christ. That's an amazing point. To to be there and to see eternity changed for somebody is amazing. But I realize most of what I do spiritually is just planting and watering. Planting and watering. And realizing, let God get the glory. So if you have somebody you love and you really want to see them come to know the Lord... Just keep planting seeds in their life. Just keep on watering those seeds. God eventually will get the glory and the increase and see what happens. That's not a competition. It's all about the Lord and the Lord alone. And Paul is saying that's what it is. Let's see what happens here. Verse 7. But on the contrary, when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcision had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. What Paul is saying is this. Hey, we all got together and we realized God had called Peter to go spread the gospel to the Jews, the circumcised, and God had called me, Paul, to go spread the gospel to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised people that weren't Jews, and we realized the Lord is moving and working. Amen. We're all working at this together. And so Peter had a calling, Paul had a calling. Hey, let's just support and encourage each other. And that's something that we need to do in the body of Christ. Paul talks about this again in Corinthians, about how there's different ministries, different gifts, different activities. And we need to realize we're all not called to do the same thing. we got a group going down to Mexico here next week. Not all of you are called to do that, but I hope that you'll pray for them. we got vacation Bible school coming up here in July. Some of you may not be able to help out. Maybe you, you can't because of work schedules. You can't because of life schedules. Maybe you just hate kids. I don't know. But you can pray for vacation Bible school. I use this example a lot. I have never been to the Friday ladies study out here or the Monday study or the other ladies study that meets on Friday. I'm not going to sign up for the Run for God female group. That would be weird and awkward. I can pray for them. That's not my ministry. That's not my activity. But I can pray for them. So when you get a bulletin or you wonder why are we announcing all these things, it's for you to at least stop and say, you know what, Lord, use that. Maybe Monday afternoon you'll stop and say, there's a group of women getting together right now to go deeper in the Lord. Lord, in the name of Jesus, be with them. Different ministries, different activities. So what Paul is saying, hey, Peter, you take the gospel to the Jews. I'm going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Amen. Verse 9, and when James, Caiaphas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. We got together. We saw the Lord's plan. Let's go do this. Verse 10, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. Now, I love verse 10. You may look at verse 10 and kind of skip over that. I love verse 10. Verse 10 to me shows practicality right there. This is something in my mind that I kind of see. I'm just going to share with you. I, I see two things going on a lot in the church. I see what I call theological Christianity. Theological Christianity is you study God's word. You love it. You know it. You're marking verses. You understand it. You're studying out the theology, what it means to be saved by grace and to God be the glory and fruit. And you're getting into the word studies and you know it. Practical Christianity is you get out there and say, okay, now I'm going to go get my hands dirty. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to serve. I'm going to represent Jesus on the front lines. And I'm going to go make a difference through the Lord and through his spirit and his power and where I live and where I work. The problem is sometimes people get focused on just those extremes. I've run into theological Christians where they just, they know the Bible amazing. But they never get outside of it to go represent Jesus. They're in the word, but they're not in the world. Then I've run into the practical Christianities where they are doing so much good. But where's the theology? 
Where's the study of God's word? Where's the representing truth of Jesus Christ? So yes, you're out there saying we need to feed the poor. We need to do this. Amen. But you also need to represent the truth of Jesus Christ to these people in theology. So what happens is I think you need to take both of these extremes and realize what Paul is doing right here. Verse 9, we realize God's grace has gone to the Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcised, the uncircumcised. Theology. Practical, verse 10, let's also help the poor as we do it. You've you got to remember, there's certain things that God speaks in very ambiguous terms. He tells you in the Bible to honor all, love all, respect all. All means all. But then every now and then he gets very detailed. He says, hey, take care of the widows. Take care of the orphans. Visit those in the hospital. Visit the prisoners. Take care of the poor. So we need to remember, once again, as a Christian and as a church, we want to get together, we want to study God's Word, we want to grow, but at the same time, we want to give you opportunities to go out there and get your hands dirty and representing Christ. Why don't we do that more often? Well, you've been hearing me teach a lot the last few months on that idea of being busy. We're just so busy. Never not busy. We choose to fill our lives with things. We can be busy about the Lord's business. So we could take that one out right there. What's the real reason we don't want to go out there and do the practical Christianity? I think for a lot of us, it makes us uncomfortable. We're going to go deal with people, a socioeconomical class that maybe we're not used to. And so therefore, I don't want to do it. As we've joked out here before, hey, let's all be missionaries to the upper middle class, to the suburbs of America. That's where we're called. What happens if that's not where we're called? What happens if we're called to go places that we never thought we were going to go? Deal with people we never thought we were going to deal with because they need to know Jesus Christ. Are we willing to go out there and do that? I, I think of this example from the Old Testament, from 2 Kings chapter 4. I'll just share the story with you real quick. There was a widow that lost her son. So she comes to Elisha and she says, my son has died. And she goes, I want you to come and pray over him. And Elisha says, I, I will, but I'm going to send out my servant Gehazia. Gehazia, you get going and you go to this child. Take my staff and you go up to this dead child and you touch this child with my staff. So Gehazia takes off and goes first. He comes to the child and Elisha and the mom are coming later. And Gehazia goes to the child, takes the powerful staff of Elisha and goes and touches the dead child. And guess what happens? Nothing. Nothing. So now Elisha and the mom show up, and Gehazi says, I touched the child with the staff, nothing happened. So Elisha now goes into the dead child, and the Bible says, lays on top of the child, nose to nose, head to head, arms to arms, feet to feet, literally lays on top of the child, prays for the child, and guess what? The child is miraculously resurrected. Now what does that show us? What I see is this. We want the ministry of Gehazi. I want to touch people with a staff from a distance. I don't want to get in their world too much. I mean, I love them, and I care for them, and I don't want anybody to go to hell. So, But from a distance, I'm just going to touch with the staff and hope it works out. Where the real ministry is Elisha, you've got to get in there and touch the dead. You've got to get in there and get involved in people's lives to really represent Jesus Christ. I Once again, I see so often as Christians, we do everything we can to make ourselves comfortable in this world. Where the Lord said, it's not about being comfortable. It's about seeing souls get saved. So let's not try to build us up. Let's go represent Christ. And sometimes that means we go out there and we touch the dead. Practical Christianity mixed with theological Christianity. Well, what happens is this whole debate now of Jews and Gentiles comes to a head, verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. 
For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with them, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? What was happening was this. Peter, when he was around the Jews... He would act like a Jew. When he was around the Gentiles, he would start acting like a Gentile. Now, wait a second here. There's a problem. So Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles, and he's enjoying pork chops and everything else. He goes back to the Jews, and it's like, oh, no, that's not the way I'm going to live. I'm going to eat different. I'm going to live different and act different. And what happened was there was a hypocrisy going on. The Bible says here that he was playing the hypocrite. Hypocrite's a really interesting word. It literally means two-faced. It comes from the Greek, which you would use as an actor. That when you would get on the stage, you would literally have another face. And when you got off the stage, you were, you're back to your regular person. So you literally were two-faced. What happened is it became a term that we use now of your fake. I, I don't know who I'm dealing with. So fine, I, I see a Sunday morning. You're clapping. Brought your Bible. You're marking a verse. Amen. Praise the Lord. I run into every now and then throughout the week. We shoot texts back and forth, whatever. And there's something about this and that and prayer and God. But then I get a message from somebody else saying, hey, have you heard about Fred over there? No, what's going on with Fred? Well, this, 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 and this. The same Fred that I see at church. Same Fred that's praying about this ministry. The same Fred that says he feels led to do this. That's a two-faced. That's a hypocrite. And so what happened was Paul comes up to Peter and it says, I withstood him to his face. Verse 11, withstood. I opposed him. In the Greek, that's the same word On how we're supposed to deal with Satan. We're supposed to oppose it. Withstand it. Fight it. Fight that hypocrisy. Because verse 14, Paul says, you're not being straightforward about the truth. Straightforward is a really interesting word. Straightforward means that you are moving forward. But not only moving forward, you're also leaving a path behind you for others to follow. So what happens is, as you are growing and going deeper in the Lord, you're leaving a path for people to say, this is the path to get to Jesus. So if you're not being straightforward, what it means is you may be moving towards the Lord, but you're leaving potholes and boulders behind you of the way you're living and acting. So moms and dads, we're trying to lead our kids to Christ. Let's be straightforward. Lead a path right to the cross of Christ. But the problem is, if we're being a hypocrite, we're leaving Once again, potholes and boulders. You want to go to work and be a light and a witness? You want to be straightforward. So you can't go and tell them about Jesus. The next thing you know, you're the one yelling and screaming and cussing and doing this. You're not being straightforward. So what Paul is trying to tell Peter is, listen, you're a hypocrite. You're telling people to get saved, but the path you leave leads them down a path that does not take them to Jesus. And so, Peter, I have to correct you. What does he tell him? Verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. 
I can't tell people to be saved by Jesus, then go say, I'm going to do the law. I can't tell people you don't need the law, but then tell people to need the law. Peter, you're being a hypocrite. Verse 18, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Peter, we have destroyed the law through the fulfillment of Christ on the cross. Why are we telling people to go back and redo it? For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Peter, for telling people to follow the law, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Now, we understand that. You guys aren't coming up to me after Sunday saying, James, I really think we should get back into Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. You guys know that. So what do we take out of this? You see biblically here, how to correct somebody. And this is where the message takes a turn, people. We're called as believers. If we see a a fellow brother or sister in the Lord who is not doing something properly in order, they're being unbiblical, we have a spiritual responsibility to go to them lovingly and say, I love you enough, but you're wrong. Now, we just talked about this a couple Wednesdays ago. Because in Ezra 9 and 10, what had happened was Ezra is coming back to rebuild the nation of Israel spiritually. And the priests and the Levites had taken these pagan wives. So Ezra comes back and says, you guys can't do this. You can't. You can't say you're going to be the leadership spiritually of Israel, but bring in this pagan idolatry with you. So we talked a little bit about this. So I'm going to repeat some of these points here because you see how Paul does this with Peter. Now, why don't we do this? Why is it so difficult for us to do? I think there's a few reasons. Number one, we don't want to hurt or lose friendships and relationships. I've known this person all my life. I live with this person. I work with this person. This person's my friend, my brother, my sister, my cousin, my mother, my father, fill in the blank. And I have to deal with this person on a regular basis. So if I go and tell them, hey, I love you, but what you're doing is wrong, it's going to hurt a relationship and make it very awkward. Think about what you're really saying. It's more important for me to be comfortable with this person in sin than to love them enough to tell them the truth. That's what we're really saying. I'd rather have a fake, false relationship with them because it's at least not uncomfortable than going to them and saying, I love you enough to tell you the path you're going is wrong and dangerous. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 28, 23. Proverbs 28, 23. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. You'll find a deeper, stronger relationship when you rebuke somebody and love and correct them rather than saying, I'm just, I'm just going to pretend it's not happening. So the first reason we don't do it is it makes it too uncomfortable. What's the second reason we don't do it? Well, who am I to go say anything? I mean, I look at my own life and there's things in my life I know are wrong. And so why should I go correct this person when I look at me? Let's just be straightforward about that. If you know there's things in your Christian walk that are wrong that's keeping you from being a light to other people then it sounds like you need to go be with the Lord alone to get those things taken care of. Through a time of repentance and confession and communion, saying, Lord, I'm giving this to you because this is keeping me from doing the ministry that you've called me to do. Number three, I I just don't like confrontation. I just don't like arguments. I just don't like fights. I just don't like that type of stuff. Can you imagine if Jesus had that personality? Pharisees came up to Jesus. They wanted to attack him. And Jesus said, sorry, guys, I just don't want to fight and walked away. No, you stand for truth. Listen, if we really do believe, Genesis through Revelation, we really do believe this book is true, 
then why would we not take this truth and apply it to every aspect of our life? Why would we not go to people that we love and care and say, I love you so much that I see the path you're going and it's going to hurt you and harm you and I want to remind you of what the Lord says because I care for you. Now, this happens a lot with what I do. And usually one of four things happens. One, nothing. (laughs) Just completely ignored. It's like it never even happened. Two, anger. You have opened a closet door that they wanted no one to see. And anger, frustration. Three, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. Thanks. That's all. Nothing more? Nope, not going to talk about it. Number four, you're right. Pray with me. Pray for me. Help me. What can we do? That's the one you're looking for is number four. But I know this. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's my job to present the truth. And as I present the truth, it's the Holy Spirit and that person's job then to figure it out. So let's make sure we're doing this biblically. Can you go with me to Galatians 6? Because you've got to do it biblically, folks. If you don't do it biblically, it will not go good in any way whatsoever. And I've seen people do it, and it's not scriptural. How are we supposed to do it? Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one should bear his own load. Now there's four points right here. First thing that you see is when you want to go talk to somebody, you need to make sure that you're talking to a brethren and that you're doing it in a spirit of gentleness. Verse 1. Gentleness. It's not a holier than thou. It's not, let me tell you everything you're doing wrong. I love you enough to care, to get involved in your life. So it's a spirit of gentleness. Number two, you who are spiritual, verse one, restore. It has to be spirit-led. This is not an off-the-cuff emotional reaction that I'm really ticked at what you did, and so I'm going to let out ten years of frustration on you. No. I am prayed up. I am fasted up, I am ready, and the Lord is going to open a door at His time frame. And I'm going to be purposeful about this conversation. I'm going to look this person in the eye. I'm going to call him, I'm going to email him, I'm going to text him and say, I care for you. And the path you're going is going to cause harm. So I was done in gentleness. It's spirit-led. Next one, verse 3, you're humble about it. You're humble. Because there's a part of it that you stop and you realize, I'm no better than them. Verse 4, let each one examine his own work. So I'm not going to go in here and be a hypocrite. I'm going to be honest. I struggle with things. I do this. I'm not saying it's perfect. You know, I, I, I try to be honest with people, saying I don't got it figured out. If someone's going through a difficult time, I'll stop and say, listen, I, I don't want to say I know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through. But I know the goodness of the Lord. I want to tell people, listen, you're in a really tough spot. But I want to remind you to glory and tribulations. Marriage. Hey, will you pray for me as I pray for you? If I give somebody a verse about going deeper, I say, hey, you pray for me and I'll pray for you. Let's do this together as a team. So we have gentleness, spirit-led. There's a humbleness about it. And what do you give them? You give them scriptures and Jesus. No one cares what you think. It's scriptures and Jesus. So often when we go talk to someone, well, I think... No, let me tell you what God's word says. 
Let me tell you what the nature of Jesus is. Let's just stick to Scripture. Because when you start getting into what you think, it becomes emotional. It becomes personal. Sometimes it becomes vindictive. No, I just want to give you what the Scriptures and what Christ says. So when you give the truth of the Scriptures, God's Word doesn't return void. That's the beauty of just giving them the Lord's Word. So often I have people come up to me and they'll say something like this. Hey, I'm having a situation with somebody. Um, I'm going to tell them this. Can I run by you what I'm going to tell them? I usually say no. (laughs) Because the details don't matter. The Holy Spirit will give you words. But what I will do is this. What scriptures are you planning on sharing? Let me know those. Let's check to make sure we got God's word covered. Because what happens is we want someone else's okay. Remember what Matthew 18 says. Matthew 18 says, if somebody's doing something they shouldn't, you're supposed to go to them and them alone. Paul went to Peter and addressed Peter personally. What do we do as Christians so often? Well, I'm really concerned about Fred, so I'm going to talk to ten other people about Fred. But I'm never going to go talk to Fred, but I'm just really concerned about him. I'm so concerned about Fred, I'm going to talk to everybody else about him. Well, maybe you need to go talk to him. Oh, I don't know what to say, so I'm going to talk to everybody else first to help me figure out what to say. No, you go to Fred. Fred, I love you, man. I don't, I don't even know what to say. But I'm concerned about you, and, and I see you going backwards instead of forwards spiritually. I'm concerned. What's going to happen? Probably one of those four things. Silence, anger, a quick little fine, thanks. Or maybe they'll stop and say, thank, I really need this. Will you pray for me? I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that we need to be faithful to present the message. And that message needs to be presented in gentleness, spirit-led, humbly, and giving them scriptures in Jesus. When you do those four things, it's between them and the Lord and what to do. Now, I tell you all the time, guys, anytime I teach a lesson like this, i got to live it. i got to live it before I teach it or i got to live it after I teach it. Now, it's a lot easier to live it before because that way when I'm teaching it, it's like, oh, good, I passed the test, I hope, Lord. (laughs) Some of you are here this morning and you're hearing this message and you're thinking of someone you need to go talk to right now. And you don't want to do it because of those reasons we said. It's awkward. It's difficult. I don't like confrontation. I don't know what to say. And there's a hundred reasons why not to do it. There's one reason to do it. You love them. And the Lord told you, go talk to them. Remember what we read in Proverbs. You'll find more favor afterwards because you have represented the truth than you will by just flattering them and saying, I don't want to say anything. Man, I don't get that. I've never understood that. I'm not trying to step on people's toes. I'll have people come to me and say, I am so concerned about this person. Oh, have you talked to him? No, I don't want to talk to him because I don't want to cause an issue. There already is an issue. They're spiritually falling apart. That's the issue. Prayerfully do it. Gentleness, spirit-led, humble, and scriptural. Flip this around real quick. If somebody comes to you in a spirit of gentleness, humbleness, spirit-led, and scriptural, listen for a second. Just listen for a second. Dawn corrected me on something. Actually corrected me on two things in the last couple of days, but I don't want to go into too much detail because she was wrong. But the point is... <laughs> When she first told me, she was wrong. I don't know what happened. Then she became right. But when she first told me, I knew she was wrong. And, and she, she did it properly. She did it really good. I give her credit for that. It was something where she came and, and she, her voice was calm. It was collect. It was spirit-led. It was humble. And she, by golly, that gal even had a couple verses to share with me. Now, when I heard it, 
I knew immediately she was right. I just didn't want to deal with it. I knew she was right. Came back later, it's like, you were right. But the thing is, you can do it properly, and the person still just doesn't want to hear it. You can't control that, folks. The only thing you control is that in the spirit of love, I'm going to go do this. And what it comes down to is this. I love Jesus in truth more than I love you. And so since I love Jesus in truth more than I love you, I will always present Jesus in truth to you because I love you enough to present that to you. Gentle, spirit-led, scriptural, humbly. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. This is not an easy lesson. This is not a fun lesson. But it's a lesson where sometimes we have to do this. This is the beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible. It's because you come across something like this and it's like, okay, Lord, I need to be reminded every now and then I am an ambassador of truth. I'm not here to represent James. I'm here to represent Jesus. Worship team, if you want to come forward. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, if there's someone you laid on our heart right now that we need to lovingly go to them and say we're concerned, I pray that you would give us the boldness to do that, the scriptures to do that, the spirit-ledness to do that, the humbleness, the gentleness to represent you. I pray their heart is softened and open. I pray our heart is softened and open as we do it too, that we could be receivers of correction if we need to as well. Give us ears to hear, ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, Lord, and then to follow through on it. We love you. We praise you, Lord. This is a difficult lesson to practically apply, but sometimes it is needed and necessary. And let us have the boldness to do that, to represent truth. We love you. Thank you and praise you in your name.